Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, you brought a Bible with you, say yes. And let me invite you to open it with me to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14 will be our text today. If you're a guest of ours, we're going verse by verse through this particular uh, gospel. And it's just been awesome what the Lord's really taught us through 1 John chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now we're in chapter 4. But I read a very interesting article just the other day, and this stood out to me, and something that I'm going to kind of hang a lot of what I share with you about on this morning, so I need you to pay very close attention. The article came out in August of 2011, and the title was, What the Eyes Cannot See, the Brain Fills in the Blanks. What the Eyes Cannot See, the Brain Fills in the Blanks. Now, there were a group of neuroscientists who actually studied at the University of Glasgow, and one of those scientists said this, whenever direct input from the eye is obstructed, the brain still predicts what is likely to be behind the object by using some other inputs to come up with best guesses. Now that sounds all official, but I just thought as I was reading that article about how for so many years people actually believed the world was flat. And they thought this because their eyes did not have the opportunity to see the entire world as a globe, as a circle. And so what they did is, what their eyes could not see, their brains began to fill in the blanks. So they went outside, they looked north, south, east, and west. As far as the eye could see, all they saw was flat land. So they assumed that the entire earth was flat. They even had this idea that if you walked too far, you would fall off the edge of the earth. So this is the concept. What your eyes cannot see, your brain begins to fill in the blanks. And we use this all the time. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago, Kelvin Cochran was here preaching, and as he showed up, he had never seen me uh, in person, nor had he ever seen James Forrester in person. But both he and James, me and James, we were in contact with Kelvin. And so I talked with Kelvin Cochran on the telephone, tell him how excited we were to have him. He came and showed up. And if you remember, he, because he could not see me, had filled in the blanks in his brain and came to the conclusion that I looked like Russell Crowe. And uh, just like this up here, I don't know what y'all are laughing at, but can I get a witness that's about what I look like? More in Gladiator, amen. But anyway, so, uh, but at the same time, he had never seen James Forrester because he came away with the idea that James Forrester looked like Matt Damon. And you can see Matt Damon up here. We called Matt Damon and told him that we thought he looked like James Forrester. This is what he responded with right there. Not very, very excited, right? But what the eyes cannot see, the brain fills in. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that no one has ever seen God. So if no one has ever seen God, what happens inevitably? The brain begins to fill in what we think God is like. Now it's interesting as you study the scripture because the Bible teaches us that God is spirit. That's why he is unseen. But the authors of scripture, driven by the Holy Spirit, describe God using attributes of God. And those attributes are like holiness and love. But if you even think about love as an attribute, Love in itself is not a tangible thing. You can't hold love in your hands and examine it. So really, again, what is unseen love, the brain begins to fill in. But we know according to Scripture that God is love. But how does he display his love, not only to you and I, how does he display his love to those who are outside of the faith, far from God, who don't even know him yet? That's what we're going to discover today. 1 John chapter 4, stand with me in honor of God's word, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now notice verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your divine word today. Pray that you would speak to our hearts through it, and you would help us, Lord, to learn how you display your love, not only to us, but also to the entire world. And that's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. You go ahead and be seated this morning. So two major ways, you can jot these down in your listening guide, that God displays his love to the world. First of all, God's love is made visible in Jesus Christ. God's love is made visible to you and I in the Lord Jesus. Now, two major ways that John magnifies in the text that we just looked at to actually describe the love of God. He uses the concept, first of all, that God's love is proactive. It is proactive. If you look at verse 10 in your Bible again, the scripture says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but then notice his proactivity, but that he loved us. Now, we've already discussed together that there are two spiritual kingdoms. One is the kingdom called death. The other is the kingdom called life. God did not look upon the kingdom called death and see a group of people who were searching after him and then react to those people searching and actually come to them. That was not the case. Paul the Apostle argues in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 that there is no one who understands. No one seeks after God. So God was not moved in a reactionary uh, standpoint when he saw people calling out to him because nobody was calling. But instead, he proactively went and displayed his love to all of those who were in the kingdom called darkness. And remember, every single one of us at the moment of our birth were born into a kingdom called death. That is the kingdom in which you and I are born. And so God, the Bible says, proactively came to display his love. Now, how did he do that? Verse 10 again. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and then notice this, and sent his son. So here it is. The proactivity of Almighty God, the unseen God, sent his son. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and John writes in his gospel, and we beheld his glory. Now, please pay attention. We beheld his glory. That means we saw it. Namely, in Jesus, we saw the weight of the holiness of Almighty God, who we cannot see. And in Jesus, we saw the weightiness of the love of God, whom we cannot see. So Jesus is God spelling himself out to the world. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to display his love. John 14 and verse 9, the disciples were coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, show us the Father. We want to see God the Father. The unseen God, we want to see him. Listen to how Jesus responded in John 14, 9. He who has seen me has already seen the Father. Now, isn't that interesting? Because again, what the eyes cannot see, the brain begins to fill in the gaps. They wanted to see God the Father. Jesus says, if you want to see him, just look at me. 
because I am the full expression of God the Father in all of his holiness, all of his glory, and all of his love. So that is proactive. God sent his son to display his love to the world. But also we know that God's love is merciful. Verse 10, again, I love this verse. I kept digging in it in my study. And this is love, that we love God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's not simply that Jesus came, but he came up for a purpose. He was proactively sent to be the propitiation for our sins. Big word, propitiation. It simply means the appeasement of the divine wrath of God. Now, why is God so wrathful? What is he so angry about? Well, the Bible teaches us that God's wrath is directed towards sin and ungodliness. And every single one of us are born in a country called death. And as a result, we have a wicked heart before God. We are condemned before him. And his wrath is coming for us. However, he sent Jesus because he loves us. And he poured out his wrath upon his own son, Jesus, at the cross at Calvary. And he did that as our substitute so that we might be forgiven and not experience the wrath of God. That's what propitiation means. This past Tuesday, I was in Buckhead because my uncle was having surgery at Piedmont Hospital. I had a lot of family members up there that I'd not seen in a couple of years, so I went, spent some time with them. I could tell they were exhausted. They were going to get a little rest, and so I decided at that point in time that I needed a haircut. Are y'all with me? I'm shallow like that. And so I looked at my dad. I said, hey, let's run and get a haircut, and he agreed to go. And so we jumped in the truck, and we drove down the street from Piedmont Hospital looking for a place to get a haircut. Finally found a place to get a haircut, walked in, and simply said, hey, man, I need to get a haircut. I look like Team Wolf. Could you please help me out? He said, well, out of doubt. But you'll have to come back in a few minutes. That's exactly what we did. A few minutes later, I walked in. By this time, they already had my name. And I was met at the door with an individual that I had not seen prior. And he came to me and he said, are you Levi Skipper? I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to give you the best haircut of your life. I was pretty fired up about this. Are you all with me all right? And so I said, well, all right, man, I'm up for it. And so he said, you need to come with me first and sit down in the chair. He began to look at my hair. It was pretty funny. He was like examining it to begin with. He says, oh, my goodness, I bet I can guess when the last time you had a haircut was. I said, he said, about three and a half weeks ago. I said, well, actually four, but you were close. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little bit off the side, a little bit off the back, a little bit off the top. And then we're basically going to make it look exactly like it looks now, except a little shorter. I said, that is a haircut. And he said, well, come with me. He picked me up off the chair. Or I got up by myself. Y'all with me? That sounded weird. He picked me up and carried me. But anyway, I did. I get up off the chair, and he walks me around to the back. He's going to wash my hair beforehand. But he says to me, he says, Levi, I want you to go in that little closet right there. I want you to take the shirt off that you got on now. I want you to put on one of those smocks we have hanging up. And I just said, all right. So I walked into this very tiny closet. I'm standing in front of a full-length mirror with a whole lot of smocks hanging up to the left. And here I'm wearing a shirt with no undershirt. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm wrestling with myself. Should I change my shirt or should I run for Jesus? Are you listening to me right Finally, I convinced myself I'll take my shirt off. I put the smock on. Problem with a smock is it doesn't cover you very well. In fact, the smock came down real low cut. Are y'all listening to me? So, had a little tie in the front. I finished tying my little bow. Then I walked out of the closet and said, Here I am. This is all I got. This is what I got for you. 
They took me to where he was going to wash my hair, and I laid down. It was like on a bed. It was crazy, right? Woo, buck kid. <laughs> so I lay down. He puts my head back. He washes my hair. He finishes me up. Then he wraps my hair up into some kind of, I don't know what kind of hat this thing was. But I got up and looked at myself in the mirror and remembered my dad sitting around the corner. Are you listening? <laughs> so here I come with my head wrapped up, a few chest hairs showing. Hey, Dad, I'm getting my hair cut today. I sit down in the chair, he begins to cut my hair. Now, as I'm sitting in the chair, I'm like, Lord, I'd love to share the gospel with this guy. Open a door. And so as he's cutting my hair, he begins to tell me when he works. And he tells me he works all day on Sundays. Like, man, Sunday's one of the greatest days for me. I work all day. I make a ton of money on Sunday. And so I'm thinking, all right, Lord, this is the uh, door here. He mentioned Sunday. I'm going to jump right in. Now, he doesn't know me from Adam, but I jump into him. And I say, well, man, that's awesome you work on Sundays. I say, but I guess that's things so you don't get to go to church on Sunday. And then he stopped and said, oh, no, no, I get to go to church every single Sunday. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, I get up, I go at 10 o'clock, and then it lasts an hour. As soon as it's over with, I fellowship for about 20 minutes. Then I come in here at 12 o'clock, and I begin to work until 8 o'clock. He said, so I'm going to church every single Sunday. So then I'm like, all right, Lord, it goes to church. Uh, so then I begin to say, well, you know, I'm always interested in people who go to church and what they think and what they believe. And so I begin to say, you guys at church, you ever talk about heaven or hell or the afterlife? You ever bring those kinds of things up? He says, ah, oh, well, we do every once in a while, but we don't really major on that. So well, what do you major on? He says, we major on you being the best you you can possibly be right here on planet Earth. I said, all right, well, explain to me what you mean. He said, man, God wants you to be the very best that you can possibly be. He has put good inside of you, and he wants you to live that out. And he began to kind of give me a little bit of his theology. So I listened to him, and then I finally had an opening to speak. And I said, you know, I've read a little bit of the Bible. And I didn't tell him I was a preacher. Are y'all with me? I never do. It ruins everything. Unless they ask, then I tell. Don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> that was horrible. Should we just go home now? But anyway, so, so here he is. And then I say, when I read my Bible, you know, there's actually a verse that says, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. You ever read that verse? He says, oh, yeah, 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 man. But you just be good. You're going to be all right. You be good. And whenever you see God, he's going to hook you up. So I said, okay, well, there's another verse in the book of Romans that says that the wages of our sin is death. The payment for my sin is death. So what about that? And I could tell he was thinking as he kind of stopped cutting my hair for just a moment and uh, began to look back like this. And he says, well, I never really thought about it like that. I let it sit with him for a minute. He was finished on my haircut. I went back around to get a hair wash again. So I lay down on the bed to have my hair done, which is the way Krista's doing my hair now every morning. But anyway, so I, I'm just kidding. But I lay down to get my hair washed. And as I'm laying there, he begins to look at me. And he says, oh, oh, oh I, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. He died for you. And so I said, well, who's he? Who are you talking about? He said, Jesus died for you. I said, oh, Jesus died for me. Okay, okay. So I deserve death, but Jesus died in my place. Is that what you're telling me? He said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I said, well, a lot of people have different ideas about who Jesus is. Some people believe that Jesus is a, a prophet. Some people think he's a good moral teacher. Somebody just think, some people just think he was a great man. Which one do you believe? He said, all of the above. And then I said, well, you know, also some people believe that Jesus was actually God in the flesh. You believe that? He says, I can't go with you on that. I don't believe that. What is he doing? He's redefined Jesus. Created his own Jesus, who's not the biblical Jesus. So then I said, well, if Jesus was not God in the flesh, did he ever sin? He said, yes, I'm sure he sinned at some point in time. I never really thought about it, man. You got my mind going crazy. But yes, I think he probably sinned at one point in time in his life. 
So I said, well, if that's the case, then whenever he died, wouldn't he be dying for his sin and not yours? I could tell he was uh, in deep thought as we kind of walked back and I had the opportunity to pay the bill, which by the way, can I just encourage all of you, never get your hair cut in Buckhead, Georgia. <laughs> Over the next 30 years with interest, I'm sure I'll pay it all. That was a joke. As soon as it was over with and I finished paying, I turned back around to him and I said, hey, bro, let me, let me just kind of share this with you real quick. What if God was, or what if Jesus was God in the flesh? Because if he was God in the flesh, that means he would have lived a sinless life and never committed any error. And then whenever he went to the cross at Calvary, his death would have actually meant something. And then he began to say to me, he says, man, I have never ever even thought about that. I'm going to carry that back to my next Bible study. I'm like, you go for it, brother. But isn't it amazing there are people who go to church every single Sunday, every single Sunday, and have this idea that if you just be good, you're going to be all right? Well, that's not the case because God did not display his love towards you in that manner. He displayed his love towards you in this manner by sending his son Jesus to be the propitiation for your sin. See, Jesus died upon the cross for you, for me. He was buried and then he got up from the dead. And his resurrection is full proof that God the Father accepted his sacrifice on the cross. Because had Jesus not been raised from the dead, he'd have just been another Jewish guy who was crucified. There were tons of them. But his resurrection gives credence to what he did. And I love what John says in verse 14. He says, and listen to his words, we have seen and we testify that indeed the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Did you notice that? What the eyes cannot see, the brain begins to fill in. But John says, we knew Jesus, and what we have now seen, we now testify. Jesus was sent by God the Father to be the Savior of the world. Isn't that awesome? Now, could you imagine? I'm praying for this guy that he'd be saved. Because I, I would love to tell you, he just repented and gave his heart to Jesus right there in the salon. But that wasn't the case. I left him with the gospel. Let him know I'd be praying for him, and I left. I, I may never see him again. But I'm a dreamer. Y'all with me? Wouldn't it be awesome if he gives his heart to Jesus, goes back to his Bible study, and shares the gospel? And people in that church who think, I thought we just could be good enough. If you could be good enough, it makes zero sense for God to send Jesus to die for you. Why do that? if it's all based on your good works. But wouldn't it be awesome if he carried the gospel because he was changed by it, and then he could quote, I have now seen and I can testify that God the Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's what we do when we come to know the Lord. So we know that God actually displayed his love through the Lord Jesus Christ. He still does that today as we continue to move over and over the gospel of Jesus. But also I want you to know, and this is pretty intriguing to me, that God's love is made visible in our love for one another. God's love is made visible in our love for one another. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So eyeball to eyeball for just a moment. God not only displayed his love through Jesus, but now God is displaying his love to an unbelieving world through our love for one another. And then the scripture says, the one who does not know God 
or I'm sorry, the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now, if you think about this, our closeness to God is directly proportionate to our love for one another. Because the greater our love for God is, the greater our love for one another will be because we are learning more about his love and therefore we can share more of his love. Now, when you think about the love of God, it's very important that we don't get confused and think about the kind of love that is self-centered love instead of God-centered love. Self-centered love is very easy to express. In fact, self-centered love can be described as limited. It can be described as constrictive or conditional. A husband uses this kind of love when he says to his wife, I'll love you so long as, and you fill in the blank. A parent uses this kind of love whenever they say to their kid, I love you when you, and then they place a requirement, when you make good grades, when you have good behavior, when you make the team. That's when I love you. That's self-centered, conditional love. And then also we know a friend could use that kind of love. It's a love that says, uh, I'll love you if, and they place another requirement. Now this is interesting because I want you to listen to this. Self-centered love is limited love that is earned by the ability of another to meet oftentimes unspoken desires. Don't we do that all the time? Maybe we do that with our spouses. We, we, we think to ourselves, if they will do this, then I'll love. But you never tell them what you want them to do. And so you set up this standard in your mind that they must meet, but they don't even know what the standard is. And then they inevitably do not meet your standard. And then how do you respond? You respond with anger. Respond with resentment. You respond with wrath. You begin to hold grudges. That's self-centered love. It always gives birth to grudges. Always gives birth to an unforgiving, bitter spirit. That is self-centered love. But then there is God-centered love. That's the kind of love that we need to display among one another Notice verse 11 in your Bible, the scripture says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, eyeball to eyeball, how did God love us? God loved us proactively. He sent his son. God loved us mercifully. He sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. In other words, he sent Jesus so we could be forgiven and born again. So if God displays his love by being proactive and merciful... How do you and I display his love? By being proactive and merciful. Now, when I grew up, we had a class where we actually looked into telescopes. I borrowed one from somebody here that I wanted to bring out for you. Whenever you have a telescope, you ultimately are aiming for an object in the sky. And whenever you finally get it in to this little image here in the sky. Typically, it's blurry, so it's not very clear. So what do you have to do? Well, you've got to begin to actually work with the knobs here to make it extremely clear. And then as you work with the knobs here, you bring that massive but distant object into focus, and you can see it clearly. Now, how about eyeball? Because I want you to listen. I want you to imagine this morning that you are a telescope. You're a telescope, and other people are looking into your life, 
And ultimately, some of them are looking into your life because they want to know what God is like. They can't see God. Nobody's ever seen him. So in order to fill in the blanks in their minds in our community, what do they do? They look at people who claim to know the Lord. They stare at you. They stare at me. Matter of fact, in your scripture, verse 12, the Bible says no one has seen God at any time. But check this part out. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. That literally means his love is complete in us. So whenever you're inviting somebody to church, guess what you're really doing? You're inviting them to come down and take a look at the love of God as we love one another. As you invite them to your community group, you're like, come over here and experience the love of God. As you're in your workplace and you're living for Jesus, people are now watching you trying to figure out what God is like because nobody's ever seen him. So when they look into your life, are you bringing into focus the love of God? Are you, are you bringing into focus God-centered love? Because really, if you think about it, that love is twofold. It's proactive and it's merciful. So if you can imagine, in your life, you really got some knobs, right? A proactive love is a love that says, I will help you. I will. I'll help you. Whatever needs you have, I want to proactively meet that need. That was the attitude of Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, and he became a servant. So he served others. Now watch this. If Jesus came and never served, what would we think about God? We would think he wasn't a servant. We would think he's not really proactively seeking to meet needs. So if people look at your life and my life and we're not serving, what do they think about God? If we're not proactively seeking to meet the needs of those that God puts into our life, we're missing an opportunity for people to appear into us and get a picture of the love of God. It's proactive. And then there's the other knob, it's merciful. You know what mercy does? Mercy refuses to pour out wrath on someone who has wronged you. Isn't that what God did with us? Now, please pay close attention. God forgave us by showing us mercy, but he did that based upon and through what his son did on the cross at Calvary. So you and I now show mercy to one another. How do we do that? We do that based upon what Jesus did at the cross at Calvary. God forgives us through Jesus. We forgive one another through Jesus. It's being merciful. If you're here today and you're holding grudges against people, and you're not forgiving them. You were done wrong, maybe by somebody in your family, maybe by, maybe by somebody at work, maybe even by somebody in church. And you're like, I will never forgive them. I will always be resentful. I will never show mercy. Then guess what? You are refusing to allow people to see the love of God in your life. Y'all listening? 
So that means husbands and wives that are at odds with one another are always fighting, always ugly at each other because you've got some deep-seated resentment. Listen, it doesn't matter what has occurred. If you know the Lord, you better show mercy. Because your sin was far greater before a holy God, and yet he showed you mercy. You and I wouldn't even know the love of God were it not for the mercy that was displayed. You can't hold a grudge and display God. This is just a word. So if you know the Lord, you've got to be merciful. Now, here, here's an interesting concept. This is a deep thought, so put it on. God is sovereign over all things. He is orchestrating every single thing that occurs in your life, and he even allows some things to occur and does not prevent them. Could it be that God allows some things to occur in your life just so you will have to show mercy? Because his ultimate goal is to show people his love. Don't, don't be unforgiving. When you hold wrath on the inside towards somebody, you know who that puts in prison? You. It's not bothering the other person. Free yourself through forgiveness. And you do it because that's what God did for you. So really, that's it for today. This week, who are you going to proactively serve? If you see a need and you ignore it, you're not showing the love of the Lord. But if you see a need and you proactively do something to meet that need, that's the love of God on display. Yeah. Hey, hey, if you need to forgive somebody, who do you need to call? Who do you need to write a letter to? Who do you need to talk to and say, we, I, I am, I need, I'm forgiving you, I'm showing you mercy, because that was the exact thing that God displayed towards me. I'm telling you, you do that, that displays the love of God. And then when people show up and they begin to look into your life, and they show up in our fellowship, and they begin to look into everybody's life, they go away saying, those people are all kinds of different, man. They serve one another, and they forgive each other. That attitude is what displays the love of God, and God has chosen to display his love through us. What an awesome task. Amen? Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, help us apply what we've learned today. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you're here today, and Maybe you're like my new friend that I met uh, this past week who just really believed that if you're good, you'll go to heaven. But maybe today you realize that that's not the facts. The facts are we've sinned. We deserve death. But the good news is God displayed his love in Jesus who came and died for you on the cross and was buried and resurrected. And if you today will turn from your sin and trust him, you can be saved. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and that's the prayer of your heart, you want to give your life to Jesus, just pray something like this. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I'm trusting that Jesus died for me. And I'm believing this morning that he was raised from the dead. And starting today, I want to follow him. Give me a new life. If that's the prayer of your heart this morning, the first step of obedience is baptism. You saw that picture already this morning. And some of you need to be baptized. So in a moment, we'll stand to our feet. If you've given your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to leave the place where you've been seated and listening, and you come forward this morning. 
We want to pray for you, help you along in your walk with Christ. God may be calling your family to join this church body and partner with us in making disciples everywhere. If that's what he's calling you to do, you, do, you just be obedient. Or the Lord may have put somebody in your mind you need to forgive. Or someone you need to proactively serve. Father, thank you for the great privilege of displaying your attributes to one another and to a lost world. And Father, I pray that we are faithful to display the love of God. And Father, as people who cannot see you are trying to figure out what you're like, Father, I pray they see a resemblance of you in us right here in this fellowship. And we'll give you praise for that. Have your way with the invitation in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.